0: Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. Learn more about us and our work on our website, (laughs) sdicompanions.org. SDI members are the lifeblood of our organization, We exist to advocate for and equip spiritual companions, across traditions, orientations, and around the world. This work begins with you. Whether you are a fellow spiritual traveler, as we all identify, or work as a spiritual director, life coach, chaplain, or religious leader, we all have a sacred story to tell, and the world needs compassionate listeners to bear witness to and honor these stories. Whomever you are and wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's never been a better time to join our global family of spiritual companions. Become a member today at sticompanions.org.
1: Simon DeVoyle is an interfaith and interspiritual minister, a sacred musician youth worker, and a wooden boat builder. In all these vocations, he uses music and carpentry as a means to help individuals and groups connect sacred presence with everyday life. Simon is also a very accomplished musician. He has toured internationally as a singer-songwriter and storyteller and has released four solo albums over the past decade. His music explores themes of the inner landscape of the soul, the enchantment of the natural world, and a personal journey to follow an unexpected calling. Simon lived as a resident of the Iona community in Scotland for many years, and now lives in Vermont. His unusual life and music are the focus of an international award-winning documentary film called Funny Kinda Guy.
2: Let's do Wild geese. You don't have to be good. You don't have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves love what it loves tell me about despair and I'll tell you my mine meanwhile the world goes on meanwhile the clouds and the clear pebbles of rain are moving across the landscapes over the prairies and deep trees Meanwhile, the wild geese High in the clean air are Coming home again So whoever you are No matter how lonely the world offers itself to your imagination Calls you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting Over and over announcing your place in the family of things the family of things You don't have to be good You don't have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting You only have to let Soft animal of your body, love what it loves, love what it loves, love what it loves.
1: Thanks, Simon.
2: Mm-hmm. It's such a well-loved poem um, that holds so much meaning for so many people. And then my friend Adam Rowland said it to music.
1: Yes, it is a very well-loved poem. And what struck me this time around listening to it which is very different listening to it, to, to music um, was the, was the part about um, your knees on, on hard sand and then juxtaposed with like a, a soft body. And I was thinking about how this time of COVID there have been days when it has felt like I am um, hobbled. I am um, limited to knee walking and the surface is harsh and every single maneuver there's pain. And then I've also been thinking about um, the softness of bodies and my children's bodies that I still get to snuggle with and my partner's body and just how hyper aware we are right now of bodies and proximities to other bodies. Uh, And what a beautiful way that Mary Oliver invites us to um, love our bodies Love the warmth and softness of our
2: bodies. Absolutely. And the intimacy between us and the rest of the world. You know, it's um, it reminds me of, Rumi talks about love being the connection between us and everything else. And then Mary Oliver gives us an image that we can just rest in it, in that divinity. Love it. Yeah, there is something... Uh, there's a German word, bequem, it's kind of warm and cozy, but I wish we had an English equivalent of that word. There's something so sacred about touch and skin against skin, but it's also about seeing the geese that are, you know, many, many feet above you in the sky or walking among the trees. It's the same connection. And we feel it through our bodies, Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So Simon, you are amongst many other things, you're a a singer-songwriter, but you are also, uh, you wear many hats, and I would love to invite you to introduce yourself to our listeners and describe your spiritual work or describe the the various ways in which you are a spiritual companion.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think the number one thing I am is a cantor and a sacred musician. And different people understand that differently. Uh, A lot of people, their most sacred objects are their band (laughs) t-shirts and uh, the posters they've bought. You know, that's their deep meaning in religion. So some people, the word singer-songwriter is a very holy thing. And for other people, uh, a cantor that sings... Scripture is the most holy thing. So that is uh, the the main way that people know me is through my music. And then um, I'm also uh, an interspiritual minister. So I lead congregations and uh, I preach and I uh, do music in churches um, and other less formal grassroots gatherings. Um, and, And I'm a spiritual companion or as traditionally it was called, spiritual director. Yeah, I kind of make it up as I go along. So I do a lot of things. I, I do many things in my community, but um I think the main thing I am is a sacred musician.
1: Yeah. Well, your your music as we just experienced um is very moving and touching and you are you have opportunities to um to perform and to um accompany others in song in person and also um virtually um what, how do you see songs music uh as as a com- uh, a way of companioning someone along their journey
2: mhm There's two very different terms that people use around um, what I do. One would be medicine, like a Native American view of a song, a sacred song, is that it actually holds a quality and um, is a medicine that companions people. Um, and then the other one I would say is a kind of uh, lectio divina. It's uh, uh, there's something in the in the music and in the the words that you're singing that. Um, speaks to people as a wisdom um, and I think they're both pointing to the fact that there's some kind of emotional but um, healing content in in the music and it and it grabs people and we don't actually need to explain it very much you know like a I work a lot with teenagers and a big thing that they do when they're troubled is they put their earbuds in and then they walk in a park or they get away from people and they're blasting music and they it's helping them cope emotionally. You know, people do this with art. We know how to respond with reverence to art. Yeah. Yeah. We recognize ourself in it um, and it speaks for itself.
1: Tell us a bit about your your calling or your discernment to become a, a singer songwriter, and in this particular flavor that you do to become a cantor. How, how, what is your your journey into into this world?
2: I love that question, um, because both of those things have been um, difficult. So I I often look back and I go, how on earth did I end up learning to perform on stage? Or I didn't. Um, ever play music in front of other people as a teenager or a child. So then as an adult doing this, it was just so awful. (laughs) I think the first 50 times I was up on stage, I I was mortified and wanted to throw up and I would play my songs as fast as possible. Um, And also I made the mistake of doing the singer-songwriter thing and playing in bars and cafes where there's people who don't like you and want you to stop playing. Um, So I'm amazed that I got through that to learn how to play in front of hundreds of people. And the same as a minister, like um, I had such an aversion to standing up before other people and sharing sacred wisdom. I mean, who am I t- to do that? And I had all this judgment about religion and people that are ministers and preachers and I had to overcome a lot to be able to be comfortable just standing there being in presence with people and uh, I don't think I would have chosen either one of those so they're very strongly both callings Mm. being a sacred musician singer songwriter and also being uh, uh, interfaith interspiritual minister they're uh, things that my life asked me to do and I couldn't get away from them even though I, I kind of wouldn't have chosen them
1: mm-hmm tell us a bit more about the the interfaith minister part i i, I myself have spent several years in the world of uh, of global interfaith peace building. It was a little bit more from a um a political angle uh interreligious dialogue and um, uh, trying to address religiously motivated violence in different communities around the world um, and I encountered a lot of interfaith ministers and and myself considered for a while, if that was maybe one of the, the paths for me, maybe I ought to be ordained in this, in this way. Um, and for me, it was never really a strong enough calling, but I've always felt, um, uh, intrigued by and, and, um, and sort of at home in spaces that are um, interspiritual or, or interfaith or uh, intermystical, uh, which is a term we've, we've begun bandying about mm-hmm. here at SDI. Um, what, what was your training like to become an interfaith minister and how does that express itself uh, now?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I lived in uh, Monde Abbey on the island of Iona for two and a half years. And it was at that point in time that I felt a strong calling to train as a minister in a new way that didn't exist yet. And I remember meeting somebody on the top hill on Dani and we were looking out at the other islands, and she was training as an interfaith minister, and I was like, why on earth would somebody want to do that? You know, it's bad enough having to represent one religion. And she said, oh no, it, that, you don't understand, it's, I'm not representing the religions, I'm learning the spiritual practices, and I'm working on myself, and I am... Um, I'm I'm not really focusing on theology this is about my spiritual practice and then when that kind of wet my appetite and when I found myself in Vermont in starting a life a new life just married to an American um I remembered what this woman had said and realized that New York is quite close to Vermont and the seminary that she went to, One Spirit, was there. So I just kind of did a little Google search and found it and something in me said, you need to apply. (laughs) So I did and I got um, a scholarship to help and um, it just kind of happened and I don't think I would have chosen it because, yeah, I remember a couple of years before saying, why would anybody want to be an interfaith minister? I mean, isn't just one theology bad enough? And I, I think that one of the things I really loved about my seminary is they'd been very influenced by September 11. They were in New York and quite a few of my teachers had ended up as disaster chaplains at Ground Zero. And I think it had a, a profound impact on them. And one of the, the beautiful outcomes of that was that they decided to do more than interfaith dialogue to do more than learning about each other's religion, actually to sit down and join each other in our faith. Um, So there was a big focus on trying on the spiritual practices and putting yourself in the temple, in with the Hare Krishnas, and just going in and being among and being a good guest. I loved that. It really opened me up to um, all sorts of creative ways of praying. And I'm a creative person, so that suited me really well. And um, you don't get the same kind of manual and uh, training to do specific tasks as an interspiritual minister, but you do get uh, an eye-opening reverence for meeting other religions and, and really being able to join another in their faith. I mean, I thought I was going to learn prayers... For all the different traditions. Now I learned to shut up and listen to other people pray. And people don't need me to pray for them, but they would like me to add my energy and heart and song to their prayers. So it it turned out to be quite different than I realized. It was much more about presence and uh, becoming a person of spiritual practice than learning tools to be able to go and do holy acts for people.
1: You mentioned this um, creative prayer that emerged out of out of this training, and um, I, uh, I I imagine that for you, your songs are a form of prayer. Absolutely. Um, uh, how have have the different influences from traditions, threads, flavors um, entered into your into your songs, and um, and created music that is a, a prayer in a in a different way than Um, It would be if it were just sort of emerging out of the classic Christian tradition. Mm
2: -hmm. I think who I am when I am singing the songs has a a different depth. There are certain traditions that I will not sing their songs because I've been asked not to or I uh, have not been given permission. I'm thinking specifically of, uh, I know a number of Native American holy songs that I was asked never to sing with other people. Um, but they taught me how to pray with the geese when the geese are flying overhead. And when I'm singing that, there's a, a, another room of my heart that is open. So I might not be singing any of those words of wisdoms, but I, as a singer and the cantor, is changed and deepened. And um, I think I have a broader landscape in what I sing about. It's like... I think that witnessing is a really important sacred practice. And I I sing songs that hold more witness in them now.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Witnessing. That's a great word. Actually to um, add to the litany of words we use to describe spiritual directors and companions as sort of spiritual witnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't often hear that word, but as you're speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm recalling now all the ways in which in spaces where spiritual companionship is going on, where a, a witnessing is happening, I'm sort of witnessing someone's, someone's pain or witnessing someone's struggle or someone's um, working something out in themselves. And then there's this person here who is um, witnessing this unfolding happening and how powerful that can be.
2: It really is because you're witnessing the emerging energy You're witnessing their future self. You're witnessing how far they've come. I really think that that role's important. And on Iona, and in the Christian tradition, they often would use the word behold. Um, But that's still kind of more action and less receptive. There's this thing, you know, it's... uh, I really have to acknowledge that it's the Native American elders that I have been around, that I perceive that in, very strongly a place of witnessing all that is. Which brings me right back to the Psalms and the Psalmists, you know, who sing about all that is.
1: For the American ear out there, these are what we would call Psalms. And I love the way you call it.
2: Yeah, everybody at church, they always joke about, I'm talking about Sam and Dave. (laughs) That and... Harold, the angel. Yeah. So this is a, what I'm searching for is a song by a woman I know. Actually, I met her when I lived on Iona. Bernadette Farrell. She's a wonderful um, hymn writer. I love her hymns. Psalm 139. Oh God, you search me and you know me. Mm. Oh God, you search me and you know me. All my thoughts lie open to your gaze When I walk or lie down you are before me Ever the maker and keeper of my days You know my resting and my rising You discern my purpose from afar And with love everlasting you beseech me In every moment of life or death You are Before a word is on my tongue, Lord You have known its meaning through and through You are with me beyond my understanding God of my present, my past and future too Although Your Spirit is upon me Still I search for shelter from your light There is nowhere on earth I can escape you Even the darkness is radiant in your sight For you created me and shaped me Gave me life within my mother's womb For the wonder of who I am I praise you Safe in your hands, all creation is made new
0: just want to invite all SDI members to update their profile for our find a spiritual companion guide. It's super easy to do. Go to sdicompanions.org, find the members tab in the navigation and click on my account, log in and update with the photo and some basic information so that potential seekers and spiritual travelers can find you. If you're not a member of SDI and you're curious just know that we would love to have you as part of this public square of spiritual companionship. You do not need to be a spiritual director or a life coach or a guide to be a member. If you're interested in this work of companioning one another, if you do it in an organic way with others, with friends, uh, we are a place for you too. If you're interested in contemplative practice and interfaith dialogue and spirituality. And being with a rich community of deep listeners, come join us. Come find us at sdicompanions.org and learn more.
1: I used to sing a song in my high school youth group to these words, and um, then it, it felt much more about a God who was um, hyper vigilantly monitoring. Me and all my thoughts and my movements and my rising and my my sleeping, um, it was sort of like this eerie reminder that I'm always being <laughs> being monitored. And when I listen to it now, um, to your music and with your voice, um, it felt so different, Simon. It felt like a um, it felt like a friend who is um, who is not who is not going to leave. Felt like mm-hmm. someone who is like, intimately um, uh, accompanying me through my days mm-hmm.
2: there's so many lines that i love um i mean this is a paraphrasing of the psalm but um for you created me and shaped me gave me life within my mother's womb for the wonder of who i am i praise you safe in your hands all creation is made new and that bit at the end really is the witnessing, you know, that are we able to see that safe, that this earth is safe in the hands of ourselves and the creatures and God, that, that, that movement towards new and rebirth and rejuvenation, is that there, is that present in the vista in front of us?
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: It's different than hope.
1: Yeah, yeah. When you um, when you put songs to music, or when you put words to music, uh, Simon, what what's your creative process like when it's not a song you've inherited from someone else, when it's something that you're creating? How how do you how do you find the tune for the words?
2: Mm-hmm. I love that question. Well, I often think that we receive it. Um, and the, it, it starts as a, as a melody, or even just a pattern of chords. And, and chords in different places um, feel completely different. The different keys and the different modes feel very, very different. And I will always start just by playing. And sometimes the melody comes a long time before the actual song. Um, I'll give you an example. So this song was actually a commission, but one that um, was definitely uh, meant for me. <laughs> so this is, um, I was asked by Abbey of the Arts in Ireland to um, set Canticle of Creation to music, Canticle of the Sun by St. Francis of Assisi, who is one of my big heroes. i got a little icon of him on my guitar. And um, I started by really reading his original song, his original canticle, and then getting completely confused and putting it down, so just finding music. <laughs> and then probably for about six months, I, I didn't really think about it intellectually. I just musically played and looked at the sun and looked at the things that he described. It's like in the chords there's a whole emotional landscape but there's an energy it's more than just so then i'll dive into it and i'll go oh actually that that's the right melody but it's in the wrong key right and then i'll shift it and play with it and it's a very interesting process so much of it is about the melody itself and then the words come later And then at the very end, there's an editing process where I'm bringing really all my learning and knowledge to the words that have come up from my heart and um, placing them in an intelligent context. So there's like three stages. I like the last stage the least. (laughs) Would you like to hear a little bit of the Canticle of Creation? I
1: was just about to ask. I would love to. Great.
2: Most High, All Powerful, Precious God No spoken word can hold your name Praise be to you who births all life With all your creatures Especially you, sir, brother, son Who is the day and is your light A beauty so true to you There you are There You are. Praise be to you, my Lord. You are, Sister Moon and the Stars. Bright, precious heaven, there you are. Praise be to you, my Lord, you are Brother wind and the air Breath of spirit, there you are There Most high, all-powerful, precious God Through Mother Earth we see your face You who govern all of life Sustain and nurture all that is With sister death First and last breath The key unlocking all we are There we are There we are. There we are.
1: Mm. What a gift to the Abbey of the Arts and beyond. I'm so glad that they commissioned that, that from you. Thank you, Simon.
2: Me too, because I think it was such an enormous task that I would not have endured it without their patronage. I actually do that when I'm releasing a new album, is I'll invite people to sponsor the songs. And one of the reasons to do that is to cover the recording costs. But one of the other parts of it is um, the process of birthing a song. They don't all make it, and if there's somebody keeping an eye on it and adding money and care, I'm much more likely to go through the stumbling blocks. I mean, it really was a really very, very difficult thing to put St. Francis's beautiful prayer into my own theology, because we're different. And who am I to paraphrase and change his meaning? But if I am to be a cantor and a singer-songwriter, I have to do that authentically. I can't sing something I don't 100% believe as a cantor.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And his theology is so different because he lived 800 years ago. Yeah. His perception of water is entirely different than ours in this political world that we're in. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that phrase, birthing a song. It's a whole process. It's a long process and it can be painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then it, and there it is. And then it goes on and continues
2: to have a life and evolves. It does. Yeah, I I recently made a video for my Patreon in which I shared a song that I had written in 2006 um, when I lived in the Abbey on Iona. And there was a wee girl who was five who lived in the Abbey when I wrote it. And here she is at 18. She asked to use that song and she put an environmental slant on it and recorded a version of it of her own. And it was so beautiful to share her rendition and... Uh, adaptation of my song, um, yeah. You birth these songs and they go out in the world, and sometimes you don't hear anything back for over a decade. Yeah, you have to let go because it's no longer about you. I mean, this is where I, um I think my faith comes in here quite strongly, which is I receive the song and it's a prayer and. I need to let go of it entirely and let other people use that in whatever way, even if they don't like it and they'll never listen to it again. Or if they love it and they put a theological slant on it that is not true to me, I should let them do that.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like children growing up and evolving and taking their own path. that's different than their parents and letting letting that happen. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And also it's similar to the, the blessing that a child gives the parent, that the new aspects of them come out that weren't there before the child was there. And, and the songs always bring new meaning and a deepening for me, especially the ones that I write or the ones that I adopt and adapt. Yeah. Um, they change me, and I, I am so grateful to them. I would be a far less uh, integrated human if I had not um, learned how to sing and play guitar and piano.
1: Yes. Simon, your voice is very soothing. I think you've, you've probably been told that. And uh, as I understand it, your, your voice, in fact, your whole body, is the subject of an award winning documentary. Uh, and I wonder mm-hmm. if you might share a little bit about that documentary and that story, and specifically how that has been a part of your ministry to others. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, what you're referring to is a documentary called Funny Kind of Guy that was filmed in 2002, 2003. And it was filmed by my friend Travis, who's a filmmaker and an artist. And he decided to make this documentary because um, I was transitioning genders. And as a singer, as an alto, I was losing my voice. And being a singer-songwriter was probably the number one... um, hat that i understood myself to wear and here it was disappearing i couldn't sing anymore and uh, he documented that whole process and um and we accidentally made an award-winning documentary that has traveled the world and i recently screened it on my um, live stream channel there was about 100 people and it was it was fun It's so long ago now. And for anybody who knows me now, they know my voice, um, my baritone voice, and they wouldn't recognize my old voice, I don't think. Um, And it's so interesting for me because my life as Simon is so much more... uh, It's such a better fit for me than when I was Ruth. It was a very uncomfortable time for me being a female bodied person and and being in that female role and one of the things I really hear in my new voice is how at home I am one of the big things that I like to preach about is belonging and uh, a lot of that is I think comes from being a transgender person who who found a way of belonging upon this earth that is so much more peaceful so much more right for me and um I hear that in my voice. It's like I take up more space. Mm. And I'm able and more free to be me. Um, but that's not really about the documentary. That's about the hindsight lesson. So the documentary really is about just accepting change and seeing um, what happened to me when I started to take testosterone and had my surgery. And it's quite, it's quite a fun journey. And I look back and I'm like... Oh my God, I was so young. (laughs) (laughs) And it was when we were uh, screening it recently, we talked about the fact that there was no internet support or it's a different world. Mm -hmm. It was a different time to transition, but I think it was much more difficult to transition around the year 2000, 2001 when I did in Scotland than it is now.
1: Yeah. I think I imagine that, um, young people who are, who are, Trans or going through a transition have a lot more resources and also public figures that they can look to um, for support through that. Do you find that uh, trans folks come to you um, for support in that way? Um, or do they find something in your <clears throat> in your music or your other ministry expressions that that support them, or do you feel like that is it's obviously an integral part of who you are, but it's not at the at the forefront? necessarily in the way that it might be for others. So what, what is your relationship now with um, other people who are seeking support through this transition?
2: Hmm. I still support vulnerable young adults and teenagers. I think I always will, um, but I don't support the general population in the way that I did before. I've spent a lot of my life um, involved in support groups for other trans guys in particular. And I've passed that baton to other people. Um, and I, it I, it will always be um, a thing that I do, that I care for my transgender brothers and sisters who are most vulnerable. Um, so I don't make myself very available to the transgender community, more of a spokesperson and... Uh, I'll talk about being trans in non transgender spaces. Like way back, I was preaching about it in churches. I love the UCC churches. Just have to say, they were great at really giving um, stage to LGBT rights in their worship. Um, I do occasionally get people who are transgender people who are very spiritually minded. Um, reach out to me because they, they don't see any representation of how to be uh, a Christian or a Jewish person and transgender. Uh, so sometimes people will reach out to me for that. And there's a few people who follow me who are trans, but most mostly that's not um, who I work with. I, w- I just work with people and people on a sacred journey. And so much around transitioning is about safety and income and survival, you know, it's quite down the hierarchy of needs, Mm -hmm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So what I do in my work is is less useful, I think, to many trans people on the ground.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm.
2: But it's central to my transformation and how I understand brokenness and wholeness and Standing naked before our God, I talk about that a lot. And I think if people don't know that I'm transgender, they won't really understand what I mean when I say really standing naked before our God,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: just as we are. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And that that is good and scarred and weird. (laughs) We're weird. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And our journey is really important because it changes us. Yeah. And we have to accept it whether we like it or not. I've spent so much time in my life arguing with reality. What a waste of breath. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, those words are really landing right now, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Fighting the reality that we're in. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, also maintaining free will and being alive. And there's a, a delicate balance between acceptance and going with the flow and taking a stand and staking our individuality here into this earth and um yeah yeah this time this time yeah of pandemic calls for both
1: yes yes it does so simon your 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 music is um is uh obviously a sort of an auditory gift and offering of yours to the world and i want to ask you about um your relationship to something very uh, tangible and material. Tell us about your relationship with,
2: with wood. Oh, with wood? I thought you were going to say money.
1: Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> we can go there too uh, if you want. With
2: wood? Oh, yes. I love that question. Um, so I'm a carpenter. And when I left the Abbey on Iona, the first thing I did was train as a carpenter before I trained as a minister. Um, the Abbey on Iona was... Created that community was created by unemployed tradesmen and young inner city ministers coming together on a shared task. And that bug, I caught it, where we create with our hands and our hearts and not just our our ideas. And that was one of the things I really loved about the history of the Iona community. and I was a mess when I left Iona, I really was. My marriage had just fallen apart and it was a hard time for me. So um, doing carpentry was soothing to my soul. And I just decided to train as a boatbuilder, <laughs> as you do. I didn't know anything about carpentry. I was like, oh, boatbuilding, that looks really beautiful. You're in symmetry with the sea, and um, you need at least three hands to make a boat. Perfect for community, I had no idea how difficult. <laughs> incredibly difficult it was uh, so i trained as a boat builder for a few years before i trained as a minister and for the last five years i've been teaching boat building to teenagers mm-hmm. I also recently drove over my guitar, in, which was just awful. It's so awful. So, uh, yeah, I know, that's the right reaction. How could you do this? I'm somebody who teaches mindfulness, and I am so busy that I drive over my guitar with my truck. Um, and they, what makes it worse was it was the most expensive item I owned. And emotionally, I, I played that at people's deathbeds. I, the, the money to buy it came from the film. It was the money I got for being in the documentary. And uh, I, I couldn't sleep that night after I did it. And I just, you know, I was in... I'm praying and praying and praying, God, what will I do? What will I do? And I, in my imagination, I heard a very quiet female voice. And it said, rebuild me as a sacred object. And you know that part of you that goes, am I nuts? But I'm really sure that that was my guitar. That I've owned for 15 years, and I'm really sure it had a female voice, and it spoke to me. Um, so that's why I did. I decided to trust that 5 a.m. weird experience, and I um, I met a luthier who helped me rebuild it. And it's I rebuilt it with a piece of a boat.
1: Oh wow!
2: And it's also old growth cedar from here. So that was a, a wonderful um, resurrection process. That the the most awful thing for me that I could do <laughs> would be drive over my guitar. And now I have a new guitar with a new voice that sounds better than before. But not only that, I have a whole relationship with the forest here that I'm aware of. It's like a co-creation with the natural world. Whereas before, I had a factory built nice guitar. And now I think about the spruce that was in it before and the cedar that's in it now. And I somehow reach closer to the stars through the fact that i worked it with my hands yeah there's a mystery there that's why it's got St. francis on the side i got a little icon because i had to cover up the hole where the electrics used to be wow. <laughs> and i put sacred herbs in there and then covered it over with a, a, a real icon made by somebody i know
1: oh. oh i love that story there's an economist named juliet shore <clears throat> Who I, I started to get into back in grad school. She talks about something called deep materialism, and it's this this idea that we we cultivate um, not sort of an anti-materialistic position in the world uh, in light of overconsumption, but that we have a limited number of things and we develop a really intimate relationship with them. We we love them, we care about them, we mend them, we maintain them, we make them last. And it's a it's sort of a rejection of a reusable consumer culture, but it's not a rejection of the relationship to to stuff, to things. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a relationship to a bicycle that's no longer in my life, and it was um, and it was like that. It was a it was like an extension of my body in some ways, and I loved it and I cared for it, and I uh, I, I put some of myself into it, and I received mm. something from it. And it sounds like that's a bit of what you've got with the guitar.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And that that's spot on around developing meaning in the fabric of our home and being surrounded by beauty and things that we use mm-hmm. and maintain and care for. We're um sorely needing that.
1: Yes. Yes. We're nearing the end of our time, Simon, but I've got I, I do want to create space for um for one more song or poem if you're willing. And mm-hmm. and before we do, um I would love to ask you right now, what are some Um, what are some specific, uh, spiritual practices or what is a practice that you have right now that is grounding you in this time of, um, of this COVID pandemic or just in this season in your life, what's a practice you could offer to our, to our listeners that they might take away with them?
2: I'm very strongly needing my spiritual practice right now. I think most of us are, um, Partly because I'm online so much so I go out and find my energy dissipated so a spiritual practice that is bringing me home to myself and my connection with my god is being in nature but visiting the same places there's two places that I go to and for different reasons one is a tree uh, uh, a specific maple tree with moss and I touch it and I you know I'm I'm really having a very tactile relation, maybe because I'm not seeing people and hugging people. I am visiting a tree every day. And then when I also find myself getting too busy and too caught up and stuff, there's um, a field that's for sale. And I go and I walk into the field and I sit down in the middle of it and I just watch. It's gonna be sold soon and it will become someone's home and it will not be this sacred place for me where I got married. I actually got married in this field. Uh, but I don't go to deal with any of that stuff. I just go and be in the present moment because it is a field right now and it's deeply holy. And it, there's an airy spaciousness that I get from that that I need. Uh, whereas my daily practice is going in a very tactile, touching this earth. Mm-hmm. And yesterday I even found myself hugging it. I was like, oh, this is, this is great. I'm such a hippie. Um, whereas normally I would sit and meditate under a tree. But yeah, this right now is a very tactile relationship.
1: Hmm. I did that yesterday too. I took my daughters <gasps> up to this, um, this cherry tree in our backyard. They're, they, they're, they're just big enough now they can really climb it. And, uh, mm. and I said, let's ask permission to the tree first. Before we climb, they wanted to ask permission to our housemates that live downstairs. And I said, yeah, we should do that. Make sure they're, but let's also, let's ask permission from the tree. And I sort of put my ear up against it. And I said, I think, I think we have permission. And then they got very excited. Did the tree talk to you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I love the fact that you don't have to try and explain that. Yeah, I'm so glad you you raised that because there's a a natural threshold to the tree that I go to and I stop and I I look the 20 foot and if it doesn't feel right, I don't cross over and go to it. So um, I'm using my intuition to ask permission
1: Mm -hmm.
2: rather than just going. So I'm so glad you raised that because most of us don't think about that Mm
1: -hmm. when
2: we approach a different... A religious tradition or a tree or whatever we just go there we don't ask if we're welcome
1: <laughs> I have to give credit to that to my my dear friend um, Mary de Young from Way, Waymakers she's been on this podcast as well and uh and she introduced me to the idea when when you're collecting firewood and you're camping you ask ask permission first mm-hmm. even from the from the discarded you know wood on the floor
2: absolutely yeah
1: um, Simon, I'd love to, to close with um, another song, if you're willing. And we, we didn't get much of a chance to talk about um, your relationship to Iona. And perhaps we can do that another time. Um, but I know that there's such a rich um, legacy of music that has come out of that place. Um, mm-hmm. And unless there's something that's really speaking to you to, to sing in this moment, I'm, I'm deferring to you here. But I wonder if there's anything from your time on Iona or from john baller connected to iona that you might uh share with us in closing
2: oh, there's so many songs i got to know john bell a little bit when i was on iona um lovely human really lovely human uh, he has a song called love is the touch which i really really like and i i sing it often in my own prayer life so let me go get that and i'll be right back great When I left Iona, I played the song to probably about a hundred people. Everybody would come to Iona on pilgrimage. So when I left, I went on pilgrimage. And this was the song that I sang to everybody, regardless of whether they were religious or not. Love is the touch of intangible joy Love is the force that no fear can destroy Love is the goodness we gladly applaud God is where love is, for love is of God Love is the lilt in a lingering voice Love is the hope that can make us rejoice Love is the cure for the frightened and flawed God is where love is, for love is of God Love is the light in the tunnel of pain Love is the will to be whole once again Love is the trust of a friend on the road God is where love is, for love is of God Love is the Maker and Spirit and Son Love is the kingdom, their will has begun Love is the pathway the saints all have trod God is where love is, for love is of God God is where love is, for love is of God. God is where love is, for love is of God.
1: Hmm. Thank you, Simon. You're welcome. Thank you for... for bringing your whole self into this space, into this podcast. Thank you for sharing some of your your authentic self and your journey uh, and sharing with all of our listeners um, the beautiful expression of how you companion um, other people along the journey and that you witness to them um, and that your own journey is a, a, a story that they can um can follow and, and learn from and be inspired by and how you, um, you just w- you walk alongside and your music walks alongside people and in their explorations.
2: I you know, it's pretty wild that I get to do that. I'm so grateful for the life that I get to, the service I get to do. It's a really beautiful way of companioning people.
1: Yes, indeed. Thank you. Oh, that was great. I'm going to pause the recording. Um, I'm going to um, resume recording because there's one more thing I want to ask you. uh, And that is, um, Simon, if people want to follow you or learn more about your art, your offerings, where can they go and learn more about you?
2: The best place for people to find me is online. I've got an unusual name. So if you Google Simon DeVoyle, d e v o i l you will find my live stream site my website um i also have a patreon which is really important income for me and i love my patreon community people uh, pay me a small monthly membership and i send them everything i'm doing songs podcasts like i will give them a copy of this interview if that's okay with you sure and so online is the best place to find me i have a large um body of work great concerts and sermons and all sorts
1: yeah i think one of the things that's on there is uh is your pandemic prayers
2: oh yes Uh
1: very welcome right now
0: If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship. Learn more about us and our work on our website, sdicompanions.org.